Our passage today is Matthew 19, 30 through 20, 28. Matthew 19, 30, 20 through 28. Is this cutting in and out? Okay. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup. But to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you 
must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the kingdom of heaven, the last will be first. We recognize that first Christmas, we heard the angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. And friends, if a king was born, the king brings with him a kingdom. And so we've continued through the Advent season our study of Matthew's gospel, specifically asking the question, what is this kingdom like? What is the kingdom of heaven like? What is the kingdom of the king who was born that first Christmas? And today we learn that in the kingdom of heaven, the last will be first. And we learn this in three ways in today's passage. A proverb, a parable, and then the practice. So for those of you that like notes and like alliteration like us pastors do, there's three Ps. A proverb, a parable, and then the practice. And first we find the proverb. The proverb is offered twice, almost word for word in this passage. We find in chapter 19, verse 30, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then again in Matthew 20, verse 16, so the last will be first and the first last. And so we ask, well, what does the proverb mean? What does this proverb mean? Well, you'll notice that sandwiched between the two statements of the proverb is a parable. So the parable is actually given to us in order to explain or to illustrate what the proverb means. And the parable, as we heard Kevin read for us, is about a vineyard owner who's hiring and sending workers into his vineyard. Now, the Jewish workday started at 6 a.m. and it went until 6 p.m., 12 hours, and they did that six days a week except for on the Sabbath, which was a day of rest. And so we find the master of the vineyard going out into the workplace and hiring workers at different times throughout the day. The first group that he hires was in the early morning, presumably 6 a.m. as the day began. And then it says he went out in the third hour, which would be 9 a.m., the sixth hour, noon, the ninth hour, 3 p.m., and finally the eleventh hour, which would be 5 p.m., now understand that while there are five different times of hire in the parable, there's really only two categories of laborers that Jesus is letting us know about in the parable. We have those who were hired first, and then we have everybody else. We have those who were hired first, and then everyone else. I say this because at the parable, we find where does the complaint come from? The group that was hired first. And who are they complaining against? Everybody else. They're grumbling against all of the other workers. Also, we notice that the first group of workers, those hired early in the morning at 6 a.m. at the beginning of the day, are the only ones with whom the wage was made clear. Think about verse 2. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, the master sent them into his vineyard. Now, you need to understand, a denarius a day was not normal worker pay. Maybe if you were a skilled laborer, that would be a normal pay. But for an unskilled laborer like these men, a denarius a day, friends, was not just a fair wage. It was a generous wage. 
And in fact, when the master said to them, yeah, come work in my fields today, I'll give you a denarius, they probably jumped at a denarius, seriously? Yeah, I'm there. Because that was a generous, generous wage. And so we only find that the first group heard about the denarius, had the the wage set, because notice the other groups, there's no wage actually listed. Verses 3 and 4, going out at the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. Whatever is right, I'll give you. So unlike the other groups of workers, we find that the first group was absolutely clear on what the master had promised. And in fact, they agreed that the wage was not only fair, but even generous. And in the end of the parable, we only hear the first group complaining against all the other groups. So this parable is really about the two groups. The first group hired, and then everyone else sent out later. Now in the parable, at the end of the day, when the wages were to be paid, those who were hired last, those who were hired at the 11th hour, which would have been 5 p.m., and who worked one hour were paid first, and they are each given a denarius for their work. And in the same way, we hear the master paid all of the other workers, hired throughout the rest of the day the exact same wage, a denarius for their work. So then comes the first group of laborers. Verse 10, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. Now, friends, that's exactly what they agreed to. That's exactly what the master had promised them. That's the same wage that they thought at first was a really generous wage. And now we hear them grumbling against the master. Verse 12, these last worked for only one hour, and you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Friends, a denarius a day for unskilled labor is a generous Wage, but a denarius for an hour? A whole day's wage for one hour of work? The laborers object. They go, look at all we've done. Look at everything we endured. And you're going to give us the same payment as those who worked for only one measly hour? The master responds in verse 13. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Didn't you agree with me for a denarius? The master says, listen, I've given you exactly what I promised you, exactly what you agreed to, and exactly what you thought initially was oh so generous when I first offered it to you. The master's done them no wrong. These workers received, they deserved no more than they received from the master. Then why did they come expecting more? Why did they come expecting more? Because, friends, they misunderstood the generosity of the master. They misunderstood the generosity of the master. The master explains his equal payment in verses 14 and 15. He says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Notice twice the master says, I choose. I choose to give. I choose whatever I do with what belongs to me. Friends, and the master chooses, and the master chooses to be generous. 
He chooses to be generous to all, such that those who are hired last receive the same as those hired first. And the last are first, and the first are last. And when the master says in verse 15, do you begrudge my generosity? The Greek literally reads, is your eye evil that I am good? In other words, are you looking at my goodness and calling it evil? Are you looking at my generosity and calling it stinginess? Instead of being grateful for the master faithfully paying them what was promised and agreed to, instead of being thankful for the very generous wage, and then instead of celebrating the generosity of the master to give these other laborers the same amount, the first laborers call the master evil. But he's clearly done no evil. In fact, his only crime is being generous. Scholar R.T. France summarized, no one receives less than they deserve, but some receive far more. Friends, no one has received less than they deserved, but some received far more. The first laborers are so blinded by their own self-interest that when they witness the master's goodness and generosity, what do they do? They accuse him of doing evil. But by his actions, the master's done no one any evil. The master's simply generous, and the first are, and the last are made first, and the first last. So, friends, the, the proverb and the parable. These are not about economics. This isn't about fair wages or equitable distribution or employee relations. Jesus makes clear this parable and the proverb are about the kingdom of heaven. And how is it in the kingdom of heaven? The parable is about a vineyard owner. And we remember the Hebrew scriptures regularly describe the Lord himself as a vineyard owner and Israel, his people, as the vineyard. And so in this, The laborers hired and sent to the vineyard are those who would follow Jesus and be sent by him. And the first group of workers hired early and sent into the vineyard, those would be Jesus' original 12 disciples. Jesus specifically warning his disciples in this parable. But also it's a warning to us as well. Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom to which they've been called, the kingdom in which the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So what does the proverb mean? Well, you know, as a runner who's run some races, I can tell you. In a race, did you know the last can be first and the first can be last? It happens if everybody finishes at the same time. If the race ends in a dead heat, then the last is the first, and the first is also the last. Because everyone finishes the same, and so everyone gets the same reward. And that's what this parable is saying. No matter when they were hired, no matter how long they worked in the vineyard, no matter what they endured during their work, all received the same payment. The last are first, and the first are last. All who are called and sent by Christ to labor in his vineyard receive the same generous wage. The same promised reward, eternal life. For in the kingdom of heaven, the last shall be first and the first last. Everyone finishes the same. Our problem, though, is that we begrudge the king's generosity. Because we too quickly start to think, I've served longer, maybe I deserve a little bit more. And isn't that what happens with James and John. In verses 20 through 23, James and John make an appeal to Jesus through their mother, 
So we find first that there were helicopter parents in the first century. So James and John make an appeal through their mother, and the appeal is for a little bit more. For an increase in their wages. Verse 21, Jesus says to their mother, what do you want? And she says to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. You see, friends, James and John come and they say, hey, we've endured the burden in the heat of the day. We've served all day long. So when your kingdom comes in its fullness and payment is made, we'd like to receive just a little bit more. How about seats of power? I mean, it's only right that we who've labored the longest and endured the most should also receive the most. And in that way, don't James and John sound a lot like the first group of workers in the parable of the vineyard? And in fact, I believe that in verse 24, when we hear the other disciples are indignant with the brothers, I don't think it's because they had purer motivation than the brothers. I think they were mad the brothers got to Jesus before they did. Because, friends, we're tempted. We're tempted to think, oh, look, look what I've done. I deserve a little bit more. There's a temptation to believe you deserve more than the agreed-upon payment. The temptation to believe that the generous wage that God offers us all is really kind of stingy. It's the temptation to believe that the good God might have somehow done you evil. I mean, friends, you've heard people accuse God of being unfair. I served God faithfully for so many years, so he should have saved my job. He should have rescued my reputation. He should have protected my innocence. He should have saved my child's life. I've given so much to the Lord, so God should give me healing. He should give me a husband or a wife. He should give me a child. He should give me another job. I've done it all right, where so many other people have done it the wrong way. So God should reward me with success and freedom, and a family, and ease, and health, and prosperity. And if he doesn't pay you a greater wage in recognition of all the work you've done, of all that you've endured as you labored during the heat of the day, then God is not fair. He's unjust. And we begin to grumble against the Master. Really, friends, has the King given you any less than he promised to give you? And in fact, has the king not given you more than you deserve? A generous wage, eternal life. Friends, beware of entitlement. Beware of believing that you are entitled to and demanding then more. Beware of accusing the good God of doing you wrong, of doing evil. Beware of calling the generous reward of God stingy. Beware of thinking, well, why should I receive the same? Why should I receive no more and no less than him or than her? Why should I receive no more than those who served only a short time? Why shouldn't I receive more than whose service was easier than mine? Why shouldn't I receive more than whose service was less than mine? Friends, don't begrudge the generosity of God. Because the truth is that God is generous. And none of us deserve the rewards that He gives us. None of us deserve the generous reward that the Lord offers. The truth is woven throughout the whole parable. Friends, in this parable, we hear that God is sovereign and he's generous. Because what does he do? He sovereignly initiates in this parable. He sovereignly goes to the marketplace. He selects. 
He invites those that He wants to come serve in His kingdom. The Master sets the terms of service. The Master offers the reward for service. And it is a generous and a good reward. Friends, the truth is that none in the parable deserved the generosity that the Master offered them. As we noted earlier, those who worked the full 12 hours didn't actually deserve a full denarius. That was a generous wage. They didn't deserve that. It was a ridiculously generous wage. So, in fact, none who went into the field and worked in the vineyard that day deserved the wage they received. The vineyard was generous to everyone. And he made the first last and the last first. Because God is generous with his rewards. And friends, we know that God is generous because consider. If you gave the Lord 50 years of service, would you then deserve eternal life? Would that earn you heaven? Friends, whether you give 15 minutes or 50 years of service, it's never going to make you deserving of eternal life, deserving of entrance into the kingdom. God is generous. He rewards us far more than we deserve. And as such, the last is first and the first is last. All cross the finish line the same and all are rewarded the same. The proverb and the parable both clearly teach us that in the kingdom of heaven, friends, there's no place for entitlement. There's no place for envy. There's no place for jealousy. Rather, as we've heard in other parables before this, the kingdom of heaven is marked by humility. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. But what does this truth, the truth of the proverb and the parable, look like as we practice it? Friends, I think that's what we find at the end of this passage in verses 25 through 28. So Jesus calls his disciples and he says, let's put this into practice. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, shall not be so amongst you. But whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, did you notice how, how Jesus applied the proverb and put it into practice in this passage? Again, if the proverb is, the last shall be first, and the first shall be last, then the practice is in verses 26 through 27. Whoever would be great amongst you must be your servant, the last. And whoever would be first amongst you must be your slave, the last first, the first last. Friends, in the kingdom of heaven, the last is first, the first is last, the servant is the greatest, the humble is exalted. Jesus says, look, I'm the king, and this is how I came. I didn't come to be first. I came to be last, and I served. And if you follow me into my kingdom, you must do the same. Friends, it explains why Jesus, in between these two two events, he's teaching about his death in verses 17 through 19. And then he asks James and John in response to their question, he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink, the cup of suffering that I just told you about? Friends, if we follow Jesus, it's not to glory, it's to service, it's to suffering, it's to humility. Because in verse 28, we follow the Son of Man who came not to be served, but to serve. 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. And as such, friends, according to verse 23, we who follow Christ will drink his cup. We will suffer. We will be humiliated. We will serve and we will love. We will suffer as he suffered, serve as he served. The first will become last and the last first. The kingdom of heaven is about humility. So as we sang, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, that he may lift you up. The last made first, the first made last, the servant made the greatest. But friends, humility, humility and service are so much easier to talk about and sing about than they are to live out. But we are called to humility. You see, we quickly grow entitled. We think we deserve more and we quickly grow envious or jealous of those who seem to have easier service. Or lesser burdens. We quickly seek endowment, power, authority, recognition in this life because of who we are and how we've served the Master. But church, we're called to follow Christ in humility. Humble ourselves that He Himself might lift us up in His time and in His way, just as Christ Himself came humbly. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. It says the Son of Man came. Friends, the Son of Man was a royal figure from Daniel chapter 7. A royal figure who would come and He brings a kingdom. And all who serve Him will become like Him. And that Son of Man humbled Himself. The King served us. And friends, Jesus' identity and mission are encapsulated in the final three words of verse 28. A ransom for many. Ransom for many. Friends, the words ransom signifies payment. A payment given to set sinners free. For indicates substitution. He stood in our place. He took our penalty. He bore our debt. And Jesus did this for many because the Lord is generous. And He generously offers the life of His Son for us, for the many, for all who would receive Him, for those who are called as laborers into the vineyard were promised the reward of eternal life. Friends, understand the glorious generosity and the beauty of the gospel. Our God is not stingy but generous. Salvation is a gift beyond anything we deserve, yet Jesus humbled himself, served us, became our ransom so that we might receive. And now we who follow him into his kingdom, we humble ourselves. Let us be done with entitlements, done with envy, done with endowment seeking. For in the kingdom of heaven, friends, the last is first, and the first is last, and the servant shall be the greatest. And if you're here this morning in person or online, and you've never received the generosity of the Lord, know that it's not too late. The Master is still hiring. He's still hiring those to go into the field, to work for Him, and to receive the same promised reward. For the last shall be first and the first last. And church, as we, as we remember our King who didn't come to be served but to serve, give thanks. Give thanks for the generosity of God who gives us far more than we deserve. Give thanks for Christ who is a ransom for many, for you and for me, so that we could receive what we didn't deserve, salvation. And church, we go forth now. We go forth to serve and follow our King, to serve in whatever circumstance we find ourselves grateful for the generous reward of eternal life and remembering that in the kingdom of heaven, the great will be the servants and the last shall be first.
And so we go, following our King. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your generosity. We don't deserve any wage, but yet You so generously give. And You so generously give to all without finding fault. You generously give far more than any of us deserve. And You gave most perfectly Your Son, Jesus Christ, who we celebrate at Christmas. The Son who came to give Himself as a ransom that we might receive eternal life. Father, we give thanks. Help us to follow Him, to follow His example, and to humble ourselves before You that we might be lifted up. In Jesus' name, amen.